0: Hayden James, it's a particular pleasure to be talking to you today, Hayden, because it's been roughly 40 years since we've been in touch. <laughs> Where's the time gone? <laughs> yeah, quite. So all you have to do now is compress 40 years of experiences into about 10 minutes and we're, we're up and running. Give, give, give me 10 days if you're <laughs> <all right doing. laughs> Uh, let me take you back to the time we were working together and you were working for uh, one of our largest British organisations. Yeah, I worked for British Gas for a total of 30 years. Thirty years. Uh, firstly in research and development because um, despite things that might crop
1: up in the conversation in, th- in the next few minutes yeah. I'm actually a scientist by training. And uh, I have a PhD in physics, so worked in research and development. And at the time you and I met, I was actually on secondment to
0: R&D headquarters. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Okay, so that was how we got to meet each other. And I'd been involved in some sort of training, I imagine. Yeah,
1: we were looking at helping scientists with management tools. Ah, right. Your involvement was, uh, as was mine. Was in relation to R uh, and D planning processes, and I just helped organise a number of training courses whilst I was on secondment.
0: So I didn't realise that. I didn't even know you're a physicist. I knew I, I should have guessed because it was your background. But uh, you know, I must. You know, I'm a chemist originally. No, I mean I am. I, I, I guess. I failed A-level chemistry. Anyway, be that as it may. So there you were, there you were in British Gas, and were you at that stage doing musical events of any kind, or was it later? Yes, I did. I started conducting
1: when I was doing my PhD. Basically, I came up to London, I did my first degree in Aberystwyth, and then came up to London to do a PhD, and joined... The London Welsh community, oh yes, and in particular, joined as a singer. I joined two or three of their choirs, and within a very short period of time, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time when a conductor was needed. And right. also, th- all through my time at Aberystwyth where I I did my first degree, I was involved with music. I used to sing pop songs and madrigals and jazz and everything, basically. And um, so when I came to London, I joined the choirs, was in the right place, and started conducting up up here in London. And uh, that started around about the same time. It was very roughly in my second year of my PhD, I believe. So yes, by the time I joined the discuss and then met you,
0: I'd actually been conducting for five or six years, I believe. Okay. So I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know anything about that until I came across you on the telly about a year ago. <laughs> And and so I I didn't know it was going to be you, but I was quite interested in the whole business, which we're going to come on to. So let's stay away from that for a moment. Go back to you were, there you were doing your PhD and you're just starting your conducting. Yeah. And then you started getting to know some celebrities, if I understand rightly.
1: Well, I think uh, (laughs) when you've been around as long as I have, you, and, and also to be, to be quite honest, because I was based in London um, rather than, for the sake of argument, in in one of the valleys because I was based in London we tended to do some of the more glamorous
0: engagements, I suppose Um, and that led to being able to work with uh, a whole range of people and getting to know a whole range of people, not just on the musical side but, you know People like Hugh Edwards, the newsreader. Oh, right, right. Got got yeah. to know him very well. He's, He's still around, isn't he? Yes, he He's is. still. And, and yeah. he became president of the of my choir. And, I um, see. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Cliff Morgan. Cliff and Morgan, oh, God. and you know, on the on the pop side, we managed to get engagements. This is not me, Hayden James. This is just me as conductor of the choir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, got to work with Tom Jones. Oh. Got to work with Only me. Tom Jones. <laughs> All right. <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of times with Catherine Jenkins.
1: Yeah. She she came out onto the field in Cardiff, which is a, a, another story.
0: I think I might have seen that that match actually. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, the the Tom Jones one was a one off in that um, when they were building the, what was then the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, our home internationals, the Welsh home rugby internationals, <laughs> were at Wembley. And in the last game that we played at Wembley, we managed to get Tom Jones and Max Boyce out onto the field. Uh, and uh, it was it was just a, a dream come true, you know, that one was working with these people. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there, there's a whole list of them. Uh, take That, for example. Good uh, the pop group, we managed to do ten nights. Yeah. I was brought with, with take that. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned Catherine Jenkins and that was again to do with the rugby down in Cardiff uh, and and so on I mean, there, there are loads and loads of people that we've been yeah. incredibly lucky and fortunate to yeah. be able to work with yeah. Yeah. They, partly because partly because we, we're, we're a London or no, they are still a London based choir and you tend to get engagements then that other choirs can only dream about
0: Right, right well let me in that case let me take you on a bit because I'm let's let me go back to how I noticed that you were conducting the the, the choir in front of the uh, what it would be sixty thousand people in the Millennium Stadium. No, that's a bad day. Seventy. <laughs> Never underestimate. Okay, so you were in front of seventy five thousand. That's the obvious question. What's it like to be conducting seventy five thousand people?
1: Well, there's a whole variety of answers to that. I mean, first and foremost, it's a total privilege. Yeah. Um, you know, to go out into the middle of the field and <laughs> stand on a little red box and try to get 74,000 people to sing along. Yes. Um, they used to do it. I mean, uh, you you may be of an age that remembers. They used to do it at Wembley at the cup final where they had a man in a white suit. I do. I certainly standing, do. Standing up on his box.
0: A portly gentleman, I seem to remember.
1: Yeah. Getting the crowd to sing abide with me. Oh, I love that. And I mean, this was the sort of <laughs> the Welsh equivalent to that, where they could be yeah. the red box instead of a big white one. Yeah. And um, so it's it's an immense privilege. It's it's nerve wracking, and I mean, I still get nervous. I've now done something like 120 games over yeah. the past 20 years. It's very roughly five or six a year. Um, but I still pinch myself. You know when
0: I. When I come out of the car and you see the stick in front of you and people,
1: thousands and thousands of people milling around. And then you have to go in to rehearse the choirs whom you're meeting perhaps for the first time.
0: Of course, yeah. yeah. And
1: we we just do a, a rehearsal. We meet up two or three hours before kickoff. With the band, and we always have a military band. Right, card. It. Right, right. It, it's usually the regimental band of the Royal Welsh.
0: It's and very a, smart it, they look it, too. Uh, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> they they have the goat. The, the goat. goat, oh God, I've forgotten about the goat. It's the team out. My only Welsh word, gaver. As in ois, ois gavaretto. Ois gavaretto, oh.
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Counting counting the goats or whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, So, you know, there's a variety of ways to to describe the feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pride is one of them. Yeah. (laughs) Nervousness. Yeah. Because, you know, you
1: don't really know what to expect and you don't know whether the crowd are in the mood to sing. And the whole aim over the past 20 years has been to bring back the singing to Cardiff. Right. Because we went through a phase. When I go back to when I was a kid, there would be spontaneous singing. Yes. Throughout
0: the whole game, yes. you didn't need you didn't need a choir. No, no, it, it, people would just sing, and they would unusually they would sing in harmony because that's what they learned in the chapels. Uh, they learn uh, they learned the hymns in the chapels. Yeah. Then you know, and this is my own feeling.
1: I I don't know how true it is, but I believe it to be the case that with the demise of the chapels, the ability to learn and retain hymns slowly but truly died away and therefore the stadium atmosphere diminished quite considerably during this period following the decline of the chapels oh, yeah. and what the welsh rugby union were keen to do was to bring back that atmosphere yeah. and the singing that really is
0: quite unique um for Wales, I believe. You know, if you go to Twickenham, you will hear Swing Low. Yes, he you certainly to, will. You know, but you don't hear anything else. No. If you, if you go to Ireland, you hear Fields of right But if you come to Cardiff, if you hear Callan Laarne, Cum Laarne, Bertil Laarne. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 welcome, yeah. There's a whole sort of rugby repertoire. Yeah. And um, that, that was what they tried to achieve. And when, Wales played in Wembley during that period where where they were building the stadium. What they wanted was a Welsh atmosphere in Wembley. And because we had a
1: London-based Welsh choir, you know, which I was the conductor, we were offered the first engagement. Oh, I see. So we went out on the field and we did our thing. Then we were asked back to do the second game and then the third game. And by about the third game, I could hear the crowd singing. And all of a sudden, turned to the crowd and started to conduct the crowd. Brilliant. And and we did all six (laughs) games at Wembley and then went back to Cardiff when the Welsh Rugby Union said, "Okay, we want, even though I'm London-based, you know, we want you to continue to to work with us in Cardiff, but we will use Welsh choirs. And (laughs) there are enough of them to keep going forever. And, you know, I've currently used... And I counted them up because I'm now planning the next series of games. And I've already used 139 different choirs <laughs> down in Cardiff.
0: <laughs> um, what, in one place? In Cardiff?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, on one, on one occasion, I, I did have 40 different choirs. I had 1,800 singers at one game. But they, they were in the stand. We,
0: we, oh, I see. What a clever idea. I got, yeah. got them all a free ticket. It was one of the gifts hey, no wonder they sing so well then. If you got a thousand pros in the stands, and I was me thinking the Welsh are all musical. Well, <laughs>
1: well, that that was a that was a one-off. All right. Normally, I go out on the field with between 120 and 150 singers. Right. Um, from three, four, five choirs, whatever it is, um, and that's the norm. Yeah. That on two occasions, we actually
0: had a thousand men in one game God. and we had 1800 in another game God. and that was 20 to 40 choirs. but they were they were one-offs basically. yeah yeah uh, if us if us the correct we of saying it, we had two one-offs that's fantastic though i was going to ask you some more kind of academic questions really you know me but there's i'm interested in the way that sometimes a performance can be People can reach a peak performance. You know this idea of flow and everything goes well. Does does that work in in conducting a f- choir? Do you have a a performance when everything is flowing? Or yeah, uh,
1: there are there are occasions and sometimes they're they're not explainable where no. you you feel something that is is almost inexplicable where everything's working. The audience is warm, yeah. the audience is responsive. Yeah. The audience is enthusiastic. And very often, that will reflect itself in the choir's performance. Yeah. Um, and if one could capture that every time, ah, yeah. then it'd be a very special world. But right. you know, the reality is that even though every one of the choirs I deal with are what we would call amateur choirs, You know, if individuals don't get paid to go and sing in a concert, they do it for the love of music and for the love of singing. Yeah. And what people like myself try to achieve is a professional level of singing. Yeah. From from a crowd of amateur choristers. And, you know, at a personal level, I don't care whether there are 50 people in the audience or 50,000 people in the stadium, the standard has to be the same. Yeah. And on occasions, you know, something will happen and you'll you go up a gear and you don't really know why you've gone up a gear. Sometimes a soloist, if you bring in oh, yes. a really first-class soloist, that can encourage the choir to go up a gear when they they already think they're in top gear, but all of a sudden they find overdrive. They find something and, else. Yeah. And, and you go up another gear and you, you're trying, I guess, I don't know, Subconsciously, you're trying to compete with somebody who is at the top of his or her game
0: yeah. as a professional, so that you know when you bring in somebody like Tom Jones, the choir will go up a gear. When well, I work, bet they will, yeah, I could see that. When you work, for when sure. you work with Sir Gary Levin, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we did some work with Anthony Hopkins, good, and uh, we did the undermill Wood recording. Oh, and, yeah, know, the choir on that day they go up a gear, they're in a studio with Anthony Hopkins, Geraint Evans, the producer was George Martin, the Beatles producer, yes. and all of a sudden you think, heck, is this really happening to us? You know, and and it works, but you never quite know why it works. No. There, are, there no. are a number of possibilities and you aim to achieve that level each and every time. Yeah. Yeah. But reality of life, I think, you know, in any profession, there are peaks and you hope that there are not too many tops yeah so. Yeah. well that's fascinating because you know my whole thing about creativity I'm now getting really interested in what I'm calling everyday creativity Yeah. and what I'm thinking is every time you go on for performance there's everyday creativity but it's taking place at several different levels it's the the individual levels and then at the same time you've got orchestration through someone like a conductor or whatever But every time you do it, it's got to be different, doesn't it? Well, I mean, a performance,
1: as you quite rightly say, is made up of a number of contributors. Um, And the contributor can be the arranger of a piece of music, for example. You may never meet him or her, but you're working from a a published piece of music. And even the selection of music is important. Indeed, yeah,
0: yeah. Because there, there, there are people... believe that they're there to educate the public in the history of music or whatever my belief is very simple i'm there to entertain them and if i can send people out of that concert with a smile
1: on their face thinking yeah i enjoyed most of that there were one or two pieces not my taste but if they if you can send them out where they've enjoyed most of the concert and send them out with a smile on their face and they think yeah that 10 pound was worth it you know you, you've chosen the right repertoire, and you've got arrangements that the men have got to be able to sing, and they've got to want to sing it. If you choose things that are too difficult, then you, you've got this sort of inbuilt reluctance to give up your best, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I think you know, there are the acoustic of a room, for example. If it's a dead acoustic, it's Difficult to give the same performance yeah, yeah. that if you've got a bright acoustic, it, yeah. if you if you've got a terrible piano on occasions, <laughs> you're, you're faced with a, a really old honky tonk piano, <laughs> uh, and you, you're trying to do a, a piece by Mozart <laughs> you know, you've got a honky tonk piano. Wonderful. So we, we got to the stage with with my own choir where we would we would actually go and see the venue, and we would make sure that. There was a really good piano there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, sure. you know, so we would do a, a recce on many of the venues just just to make sure that everything was OK. Yeah. But when it comes to things like the acoustic room, there's not a lot you can do about that. No, no. You, know, you you have to take the booking and then you have to live with perhaps a dead acoustic. So there, there are a whole range of things that go towards, as you as you pass it, creativity, um, and perhaps the, the final link in the chain is the conductor.
0: Well, yes, that's right. Absolutely right. Where you, you not only have to teach the music week in, week out, note by note virtually, but then you have to deliver on the day. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the the guidelines I've always had is that the choristers should not use music on stage. Right, They should learn it because... Uh, I don't know, if you watch the things like these three tenors concerts, they yeah. start with Pavarotti and Domingo and so on. Every now and again,
1: they would come on stage with music, and all of a sudden, the Pavarotti's wonderful face would look down at a piece of music, and all of a sudden, you've lost that expression. And they don't need it. No, no singer who accepts an engagement should really walk on stage with music and my my brief to every choir i worked with is that i don't want to see a sheet of music on stage i want you to look at me and then the responsibility becomes mine and if you're looking at me then we stand a chance of starting together ending together and making the vision in between very very good so there are things like that that help
0: make a performance yeah that's, we're, we're, that's going to stop you though. that is brilliant the last thing in particular I could just see me cutting out that and using it to to flog the whole thing because it makes so much sense and I don't but, think people would appreciate it actually if they, they're not musicians they wouldn't have realized what you, the point you're making well I think a lot more goes on behind the scenes yeah, yeah. Than happens in a one-hour concert yeah. and it's the same at the stadium okay i mean
1: you know i think I, I mentioned to you when we spoke last that i'm now in the middle of planning the next series of rugby matches in cardiff which are in november right and so i i've made a start and during the month of june i will have meetings with the Dutch rugby union during the month of july we will have chosen the choirs and the music and the music will be sent out so that when they come back from their summer break during sometime in August, they have everything then to work in September and October ready for November. So, you know, it, it's all going on, and yet all people will see when they yeah. come out on the field
0: is ten minutes of singing. That's true. But uh, <laughs> it starts here. Yeah, now. brilliant. Dr Hayden James, thank you very much indeed. Diolcham Bauer. <laughs>